Well, hello everybody. Oh, welcome to the Word on the Hill. Hey, that's Scott Powell. And that's Father Peter Mussett over there. And we are glad you joined us today. Uh, yeah, we're the Lanky Guys. That's how we go. For a special fourth Sunday of Advent edition of the Lanky Guys. Special fourth Sunday. Because today is a special day. Christmas is looming. Why is today a special day? <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> Earlier, we, Scott and I were talking and he was like, oh, this is a beautiful day. I was like, yes, today is special. It just sounded so condescending. <laughs> yes, Scott, it's a special day. It's a special day. And that's why today we bring you a special edition. Special edition. Which is just totally not special because this is what we do all the time. You're special, just like everyone else. <clears throat> but if everybody's special, I can't be special. Exactly. Is that from the, uh, there was a line like that in The Incredibles. It wasn't. It, that is an incredible line. I just saw The Incredibles the other day. For the first time? No, but it, would been, it had been a long time and I forgot how good that sh- movie actually is. Dude, I saw Frozen. How was that? Phenom. Seriously? Yeah. My brother my brother was like, dude, you got to see it. And I was really? like, dude, I'm not going to get like, So I got Josh, Josh Santo, yeah. the focus director here. He and, told me about it. Yeah. And, and I was like, dude, we're going to go see Frozen. He's like, I heard the, I heard the um, um, Hunger Games movie's good. And I was like, we're going to see Frozen. <laughs> so That's ridiculous. And it was really good. Josh but, said, as long as you go into a movie with absolutely zero expectations, Frozen is good. It's only go up. Well, he didn't necessarily say Frozen specifically for that reason, but in general, when you have no hope. Dude, well, Christmas is looming. It's nice, but um, uh, the, the weather nice. got really nice. Real nice. And I'm like, dude, it's fine. As long as we ain't sub-zero, I am doing good. It's supposed to snow on Thursday, though. Isn't it? Is it? Isn't it? Well, Christmas is Wednesday, so that's or is it Thursday? Today is Wednesday. Not when you guys are listening to us, but as we are recording, it is actually Wednesday. Oh, and oh! You mean you're not talking? Do you see where my mind is? Nope. I'm I'm already in the no week idea. of Christmas, dude. Are you really? Oh yeah, yeah. Saddle up. Oh yeah, it's supposed. To, it's only twenty percent chance though. <laughs> they don't care about this. Well, unless you, well, you'll be listening to it if it's gonna snow. It have already snowed by now. Let it snow. Let, let it, it snow. Let it snow. Dude, that was actually we sang pretty good together. Yeah, we're great. Take that, all you people who criticize our singing. Yeah. What do you think? What, how you like me now? Welcome to your commute. Welcome to your commute. All right. Uh, you said you have a whole bucket full of shout outs. Well, <clears throat> Leslie Alvers Amick, uh, she said that because she has tried to contact me so many times on the telephone, that she warrants and now that she, can, uh, she gets a, a shout out, which is true because... Um, Leslie, I love you, and you, for some reason, you always end up calling in the most inconvenient times, and then I'm like, I'll get back, I'll get back, and then-, then You never do, do you? No. Mm. So I, lo- I still love mm. you, I, so I'm, ta- I'm telling you over the airwaves that we <laughs> will talk, this will happen. This is so weird that you're doing this over the air. I know. I have a shout out um, on behalf of Mary Hartman- who I believe is up in Washington, Washington, in Washington. Oh, yeah, yeah. She sent her, her uh, C- CD, didn't she? Isn't that the yes. gal who sent us the CD? Yes, that which was awesome. Absolutely. And she wants to actually give a shout-out to Lori Gillary, who lives in Colorado Springs, and I'm so happy, everyone, please listen up, she told me how to pronounce the name of Lori. She actually spelled it out phonetically, which is great because looking at it, it doesn't look like that. So anyway, here's a big shout out to Lori uh, Gillary and her family out in Colorado Springs, who is an avid podcast listener. Avid. So here's to you. We also got, I don't know if you saw this, we got a handful of cup, of 
a handful of comments on the cupcakes. You did? Not a handful of we cupcakes did? on the comments, which maybe would have been A handful better. of cupcakes on the comments? That's Yeah, <laughs> you have to use emoji to do that. I do. What? What does that mean? Emoji. The emoji icons on your phone, dude. Do you ever know you use like the- And they call the emoticons? Um, it's actually it's actually from Japan, so they call them emoji. Whatever, dude. Come on, dude. Get the technical names right. So Kate You're... Schmid was listening to the- <laughs> Sorry. Let's, we can keep talking about this okay. if you like. Yeah, no. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I sounded mean. <laughs> but I was I thought it was funny. Kate Schmidt, who made us the cup who made you the cupcakes and I usurped one. Uh-huh. Uh she was actually listening to the podcast at twelve thirty AM and guess what she was doing? Making more cupcakes. Making frosting for the cupcakes, which is awesome. Dude, the only problem with that is that we oh, don't and she, have any in front of us right now. No, but well, we have the cookies that you made though. Oh she did want to point out that the frosting was actually made of cream cheese, not sour cream, as you mistakenly <laughs> pointed out. <laughs> <laughs> Which is awesome. Yeah, did we get the ingredients correct? And we had a number of listeners actually ask for the recipe. They were so moved, if not by your chewing of the cupcakes on air, <laughs> by the talk of the cupcakes, <laughs> that they wanted the recipe. And I don't know, Kate, if you want to publicly post this recipe, but I think you should keep it to yourself because it's a little secret. Well, you know, my dad said that in the military, you never reveal your your um, cupcake recipe. Your cupcake recipe because that's how you get together. <laughs> you're like, you're like, dude, Sarah. Has the best cupcakes in the whole world, or in this case, Kate. And so you would, so the whole, so it would always be an excuse to experience other people's great food. So it became a social thing, and not just some some sort of like practical thing. It became no, you are associated with the recipes that you have. Wow. Yeah, I always thought that was really cool. It's more beautiful and profound than I thought. Yeah. Than I gave you credit for as you started talking. <laughs> I know that's that's why I make my chocolate chip cookies with extra love. They do have lots of love in them. I, I taste it. Oh my goodness! And I'm trying to do my best to not eat them into the mic. Yeah, unlike me, I like eating into you the mic. You don't care. I don't care, man. <laughs> I love you guys. You guys are participating. It's Actively, good, good participation. Yeah, it is. So what do you got? What are we doing? What? Fourth Sunday of ordinary. Fourth Sunday of Advent. <laughs> ordinary the, time. <laughs> dude, you are in the wrong season, bro. Times are hard. Yeah, times are hard. Um, no, we're in the fourth Sunday of Advent, so we're just on the cusp, the cusp, if you will. Of Christmas, we need to... Well, never mind. We'll talk about that later. So what do we got? We are looking at... Should we talk about the readings? Yes. Today we are reading from Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 14. Mm. Also following will be Psalm 24, verses mm. 1 to 2, 3 to 4, 5 to 6, 7C, and 10B. No, no, that's not true. Now you're just lying. Dude, I am more technically detailed. My app... 1 through 2, 3 through 4, and 5 through 6. And 7C10B. No, that's not in here. That's not on the USCCB website. 7C10B, you know what that is? No, I don't. That is the uh, response to the responsorial psalm. Let the Lord enter. He is the king of glory. How do you sing that? Who What's is the, the king of glory? Glorious and rejoices. Lift up the voice. Lift up your voices. That was a fail on our part. <laughs> All around. Dude, but this Did you see the, the Stephen Colbert video of him dancing? That was what I was going to say. Is that like, I cannot hear the king of glory without <laughs> no, no. having Colbert be directly in my Somebody brain. Somebody posted that on our Facebook site a while back. <laughs> who, who put that up there? Somebody. I don't remember. It was awesome. Whoever that was is righteous. I was so happy. Following, by, following the psalm. Uh, we will have Romans 1, verses 1 Oh, it was Mary Hartman. Mary Hartman posted yeah. it? Mary, you're like showing up Mary today. the best. You, cool, Mary. You're rocking it. Okay. So um, Romans, which is your specialty. Uh-oh. And then we have um, the uh, gospel is from Matthew, hmm. chapter 1, hmm. verses 18 through 24. Thank you for flying the Lanky Guys airline. Please 
recline your seats and put your tray tables down as we will begin beverage service now. <laughs> I don't have any response to that. <laughs> uh, okay. So, Isaiah. <laughs> Isaiah. <laughs> Aha! We're talking about ahas. 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 So, Isaiah. Okay, Isaiah. Ahas. Ahas. The Lord spoke to him. Dude, what? I okay. think it's really important with this chapter 7, verse mm. 10 to 14, mm. is that you actually go and look up Ahaz in, is it First Chronicles, First Kings? Uh, it would be First Chronicles, right? Um, give I me believe. some of that Chronicles of Narnia. Chronic what? Chronicles of Narnia. It's the Chronic what? Chronicles of, of Narnia. Yeah. Um, I'll I'll find out that and so you start talking. Okay. So little context. Okay. King Ahaz. King Ahaz is how it's actually pronounced. Is it called Ahaz? I guess you can call it Ahaz if you want. Okay. Ahaz. Um oh that's why I've been quoting that, because you said it the other week. Oh, it's, okay, so we're in Isaiah. Second Kings uh chapter sixteen. That's what I said. <laughs> I thought you said Chronicles. I definitely did say Chronicles. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> um little context. So King Ahaz is the son of King Uzziah. Who is in the Davidic line. Who is the D- Davidic line. So remember, this is the point in history where Israel has split in two. So you had 10 of the 12 tribes go up and found their nation up in their, their own kingdom up in the north. It was called Israel or Ephraim, the capital of Samaria. And then we had the two tribes stay down south. That's Judah, right? Or the capital in Jerusalem. So we, and if you read through, Father mentioned, was it Second Kings? Second Kings. So First Kings, Second Kings, and the books of Chronicles. Yep. It's the most confusing thing on earth to read because it's constantly, the narrative is bouncing back and forth from kingdom to kingdom. Here's what's happening in the north. Here's what's happening in the south. Oh, here's what's in the north. Here's what's in the south. Yeah. And a lot of the kings actually have the same name, unfortunately. So that, it's that's ridiculously really, confusing. That is so unfortunate. Yeah. And it's about to get even more confusing today. So here's what's happening with King Ahaz. King Ahaz is not a great guy. No. And it says that in Second Kings. It says that he- <laughs> Did um, not walk in the ways of the Lord. Yes. If nice you go, call, dude, you just you just quoted that without even thinking. Because there's a ninety percent chance of that being the introduction <laughs> to every king in First Chronicles. No, seriously, read through the, li- the list second or king. Second Kings. Well, both. Okay, but if you read through the list, yeah, yeah. Did he not. did. He did not do what was right in the eyes, in the eyes of the Lord. Of the Lord. That's true. Um, I think there's only two kings in that line that actually do do what's right in the eyes of the Lord, and one of them happened to be Ahaz, happens to be Ahaz's son. Oh, nice. Named Hezekiah, but we'll get there in a minute. Okay. So Ahaz is living in the time. So we've talked a lot about the nation of Assyria, right? Yes. Um, they were the ones that destroyed the northern kingdom, which would have, I think, just happened, or or is happening, or yeah, I think that. No, that can't be. It couldn't have happened yet. Here's why. Wait. Now my time frame's all screwed up, messed up. I'm a mess today. Dude, you are all a mess. Do you know that my last name and my nickname is really means to be a mess? Really? I looked, I looked it up in the American Dictionary of Aww. Slang. To be all a must. I am a, I am Father Peter today. You, <laughs> um, <laughs> dude, welcome to the must. Oh no, this okay. I'm getting the context now. Sorry, I'm digging in my memory bank. I actually studied this yesterday, but we had a really profound conversation before the podcast, and I've forgotten everything that I studied. That's what happens. And now I'm just my wisdom has time. my wisdom has has awed you. Yeah, and and the 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 glory and splendor of it has has really caused flawed me to the ground. Ah. Okay, um, so we're right before. The time when Israel in the north was wiped out by Assyria. Okay, so King Ahaz is probably reigning in the the seven thirties. Okay, um, Northern Kingdom is destroyed in seven twenty two. So remember, in BC, time works backwards. So thirty four is actually earlier than um, got it. Seven twenty two. Anyway, 
That's about where we are. So here's what's happening. King Ahaz is being approached by the kings of a nation called Aram, which is Syria, okay. and Israel, the northern kingdoms. And they're all saying, hey, let's, let's uh, form an alliance against the Assyrians. Let's, let's gang up together and form this alliance. King Ahaz is thinking, no, I'm actually going to form an alliance with Assyria. So there's this problem. That, that, that's a lot of p- political intrigue. There's this problem in the Old Testament. Part of the reason why the kings are so bad is because what God is constantly telling the kings of Israel is you need to trust in me. You need to put your faith in me. You need to put your politics in me. You need to put all of yourselves, give them to me. Yeah. And the kings of Israel are the kings of the south and the north, really are constantly seeking to put their faith in other things. So the kings constantly, you know, some kings want to put their faith in Assyria. Oh, if we just ally ourselves with this huge political power, then we'll be safe. And other kings will be, no, let's ally ourselves with Egypt. No, let's ally ourselves with Syria, whoever it is, so that they can put their faith in their political alliances and be safe. And God is saying, that's a bad idea. Stop doing that. Put your faith in me and me alone. So Isaiah is going to King Ahaz. Isaiah was, was sort of the royal prophet. So he was literally a prophet that lived in the court of the king, and his job was basically to guide him in spiritual matters, which the kings rarely listened to. So he's basically telling the king of Israel, uh, the king of the south, King Ahaz, don't ally yourselves. Don't don't listen to all these different voices that are telling you who to put your alliances with. Trust in the Lord because the Lord alone is going to save us. Even though there's these armies at the gate, there's this other stuff going on on the horizon. You can kind of see this trouble coming, etc., etc., etc. Put your faith in the Lord. And that's where we sort of step into the story today. That's our context. So we that gets us into chapter 10. And it says, the basically, the Lord begins by saying, okay, if you don't believe me, then I'm going to take care of you, that I'm actually going to protect. Even It's so funny because Ahaz is such a boneheaded king, and he does so many bad, evil things. He actually killed two of his own children earlier in the story. He sacrificed them. Yeah, one of, one of them, he actually burned like the pagan kings of old. Yeah. Which, if you've ever watched uh, The Return of the King... Then oh, you yeah. you know the steward of Gondor like in some ways I can almost see Ahaz as the steward of Gondor because you have the king, and like and the Ahaz. king is is Ahaz here. Uh, how do I say it again? Ahaz. I don't know. Ahaz. Maybe I'm pronouncing it. Maybe you're pronouncing it right, and I'm pronouncing it wrong. And all the scholars of the world who have studied all the languages are wrong. I'm <laughs> 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 just kidding. So, uh, oh come on, come on, continue. Okay, that was, it was really you were really after really really Yeah, but th- this is the thing is that I think you can get it. You can kind of get um. Uh, the the stewards of Gondor and the kings of Israel actually have some 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 correlation with each other, and I think that that as um, Tolkien was writing, he had a little bit of a sense of that, and so that can can yeah. give you a little bit of an insight into kind of the the weirdness that's going on. But but he actually burned his own son alive. Yeah, and I, I believe he sacrificed another one as well, didn't he? Um, I don't know. In Second Kings, all uh, it does all it really says is. Um, he, um, he even burned his son as an offering, according yeah. to the abominable practices of nations, yeah. whom the Lord drove up before the people of Israel. So it's pretty bad. So yeah. he's a bad guy. Yeah. And yet, the Lord is trying to show, look, despite all of that, I'm still your God, and I'm still your protector. I'm still your guide. I mean, th- this is sort of the beauty of the church's ecclesiology. The, the theology that we have of the church, ecclesiology means the theology of the church. The idea, the way we understand the church, you know, people say, well, how can the church really be the God's kingdom manifest on earth? There's all these bad priests and bad bishops, and sometimes we have bad popes, you know, da-da-da-da-da. And we say, yeah, but look at the Old Testament, because that's our that's our prototype for this. You have the kingdom of God, which is ruled by the hands of men, usually very sinful men who do terrible things. But God is reminding us that, look, despite the sins of the leaders, I'm still the God of this kingdom. I'm still their guide. So he tells Ahaz, look, I'm still your God. Trust me. 
And that's where we pick it up today. So it says again, the Lord said to Ahaz, ask the Lord your God for a sign. If you don't believe me that I'm going to protect you, ask for a sign. I want to prove it to you. I actually desire to show you how much I love you, uh, whether it's the deepest depths or the highest heights. And Ahaz said, like a bonehead, I will not ask. I will not put the Lord to the test. I won't sin and put the Lord to the test like that, even though he just asked me point blank to do it. I'm going to show how holy I am, right? Yeah. And so it's it's so... um. Um, it, it, it's it's like you hear Jesus all the time condemning people in the New Testament. He says, you know, John the Baptist came to you and he wasn't eating. He wasn't eating. He was fasting. He wasn't eating or drinking. And you call him possessed by a demon. And I come eating and drinking. And you call me a drunkard and a a, a sluggard. Can't win. You can't win. And so, in some I want to call more people sluggards. <laughs> you are, you sluggard. You are sluggard. <laughs> And, uh, and so I, I think that Ahaz is really Ahaz yeah. or <laughs> whatever. Call him, what you, call him whatever you want. <laughs> okay. Potato is, um, oh, I'm sorry, potato. Is, if it's true for you, then it's true. Oh, dude. Sh- I'm just kidding. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Who are you today? I don't man? know. I don't know. I don't know. You got bit by the relativistic bug, man. I'm just kidding. Okay. Well, no, yes. You're exactly right. I mean, that's exactly it. That's yeah. exactly what he's doing. Thank you for affirming my correctness. You're welcome. So he's like, no, no, I'm not going to do it. And then he says, listen, O house of David. In other words, listen, king. Is it not enough for you to weary my people? Must you also weary my God? This is Isaiah talking. <laughs> so you're terrible king to the people. Do you have to also have to you know, play with God this way? Therefore, the Lord himself is going to give you a sign. So you want to ask for one? Fine. The Lord will choose a sign. I'm always reminded. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I'm reminded of? Do you know me well enough to know what I'm thinking right now? Okay, I'm gonna shoot in dark. It's a movie. Oh, it's no. Then oh, I don't, don't know. Tell me. I'm thinking. I always. Whenever I read this, I think of Ghostbusters. Remember where they the whatever the thing is asked them to think of a sign for uh, the destroyer, and he thinks of this day of puff marshmallow. <laughs> yeah, you think name pick the, the form destroyer. of your destroyer or something. Yeah. Anyway, I don't know why I was reminded. <laughs> he's, he's like, he's like, he's like, everybody clear your eyes, clear your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. That's a really weird association. Yeah, sorry, welcome to Welcome to Scott Powell's brain, everybody. Hey, everybody, I'm sorry. Um, so the Lord, I'll pick you a sign. I'll pick for you a sign. And I'm going to give you this sign. Uh, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and he shall call him Emmanuel. Which if you're just reading this kind of at face value, you know, without any context, that's just plain weird. So, okay, how are you going to know that the Lord is actually going to protect you? Oh, because a virgin is going to conceive and bear a son, and you're going to call his name Emmanuel. Wh- okay, what? How does that apply now? Yeah, dude, I, this I, is... I don't get it. And, and well, I, every time I hear Emmanuel, I think of Emmanuel Lewis. Like the, <laughs> was that Webster? Yeah, I think it was Webster, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, he's a little short black kid. Yeah, it made me so a- happy. Yeah, so whenever oh. we come to Christmas, I always think, of, think Webster, of Webster, dude. Oh, wow. That makes me happy, yeah. I can tell you. Okay. Um, uh, no, okay, but this is where the scriptures are beautiful because there's layers of meaning to the scripture. And this is where studying the scriptures is this nuanced reality because, okay, the Christian reads this. Oh, the sign is going to be that a virgin will conceive and bear a son. Call his name Emmanuel. Mary. And we all think, oh, it's Mary. It's Jesus, right? Yes, that's the ultimate fulfillment. But there's actually layers of fulfillment prior to this. Yeah. So there's two things going on. There, there, people don't know exactly what this means. And even our Jewish friends who, who don't see the New Testament, you know, go back and forth what exactly this means. And there's two major options. So it's Isaiah speaking these words. Isaiah is actually engaged at the time oh. to a virgin, um, presumably. And the, and the word, I actually looked up the Hebrew word, which is Alma. Yeah, it's the Hebrew word Alma, which, which does mean virgin. There's dis- debate over people, linguists, whether oh. this means actually a virgin or just a young woman. 
In the Greek, it's, in the Hebrew, it's kind of ambiguous. But a young woman, a virgin, will conceive and bear a son. Isaiah is actually engaged to a woman who is going to conceive soon and bear a son. Oh. So some people think, oh, well, it's just a reference to Isaiah and that there's still hope in the kingdom, right? There's new life that will be produced in some way. But Father Brady, um, the parochial vicar here, had a great theory, um, which I think is really beautiful. And I don't know. Yeah, he started to tell me about did this. Did you hear about this? Yeah, he, he started I'm, I'm to tell me I'm probably going to butcher it, it but I just, it, it's, it's, we were talking about it a couple weeks ago and it mm-hmm. really was beautiful. Now, again, recognizing that the ultimate fulfillment of this happens in Jesus Christ in the New Testament. That's true. There are layers that God is kind of preparing. And one of the things, so if we remember that King Ahaz killed his son, and I think killed multiple sons, if I, if, although I might be mistaken on that. Well, yeah, it's that, se- that passage from 2 Kings 16, yeah. which is what I read earlier. Yeah. yeah. So if we know that about his history, just, and we also know he's a pretty bad guy, but He's also a human being, and I don't know just as evil as you are on just a human level how that reality can't just mess with you, right? Yeah. You killed your son. You sacrificed. You burned him. That's just got to mess with you, and there's got to be a deep psychological wound. So you've abandoned God. You've worshipped other gods. Now the one true God is actually asking you to let him prove it to you that he's going to protect you and actually care for you and your people. Mm. And what's the sign? It's that this king who actually slaughtered his own child will actually later on, his wife will conceive and bear a son. Uh, Another woman is actually going to, another wife who is a virgin at the time will conceive and bear a son. And he does actually have another son whose name is Hezekiah. And he's the one who actually ultimately takes the throne next. And he actually was a pretty righteous king. He did a lot of good in the kingdom. But for the most part, our Jewish friends, when they read this, they're not thinking Jesus. They're thinking, oh, Hezekiah, the one who actually came later, who actually did good things, listened to the voice of the Lord. And he actually brought some redemption to the kingdom on small levels. And if we can recognize that, which is kind of a beautiful, um, sign, very tangible sign of God. I mean, because what does Emmanuel mean? It means God is with us. What is Ahaz having a hard time believing? It's that God is with us in our politics and our military strategy and everything else, that God is actually going to protect us. Is God going to protect us? I don't know. So I'm going to put my faith in the Assyrian army. No, God is with us. No, Emmanuel, God is with us. How is God proving this to Ahaz? Well, in part by showing him, despite as many sons as you killed, God will actually give you another and he will bless him. And that's actually really beautiful. And if we understand that, then we see that Jesus just hurdles that tenfold. And in another very dark period of time where we abandon God all the time, we put our alliances in all sorts of different things, that God is still saying the exact same message, that this virgin will conceive and bear a son, and God will be with us for all of eternity in a way that we never expected, that we can actually take into our into our mouths for Pete's sake. Yeah. So that's my take on Isaiah. That's, that's the take that I would be taking <laughs> if I could take it myself. No, it was good. Um, Psalm. Yeah, what do you got on the psalm? Um, you know, uh, well, we did have some jambalaya, and it was nice and salty, and but I'm really not getting much else out from the salter right now. Oh, seriously? Oh, come on, dude. That was a setup and everything with the food uh, and the lanky guys, and that's what we talk about. Just terrible. Thank you for affirming my being. I really am feeling nice and I, welcome. I love you very much, Father Peter. I love you very much, too. So, well, a little history. Psalm 24 um, is is understood, has always historically been understood to be a basically a celebration of the Lord's entrance into his sanctuary. Um, and we, we reminded of the other uh, the other 
psalms that we've been praying in the last couple of weeks, who will approach the Lord's throne, who will approach the Lord's holy hill, right, going up on the hill and things like that, who will stand in his holy place. And the answer comes in Psalm 24, only he who has clean hands and a pure heart, right, not not entrenched in idolatry and putting their faith in other things. This is precisely what King Ahaz is not doing. He's, he's, he has idolatry, he's worshiping other gods, he's putting his faith in other things. He does not have clean lips, but yet this psalm is reminding us that God is still going to basically open up his throne room to the to the likes of us who will actually come after King Ahaz to King Hezekiah's son and and all the offspring and ultimately the ultimate offspring Jesus who will be the um the child that the virgin conceives and bears that will be what causes Psalm 24 to take place for us to actually enter among the king of glory, because how how is it that you can read this first reading about this terrible king who has no right to be in the presence of God, which is what the psalm says if it lays out the constraints for who can be in the presence of God. This king has no right to do it. So that means none of us really have a right to be in the presence of God. So how do we get back in the presence of God? How does Psalm 24 come to its fruition? It's by the presence of God actually coming to us in the form of a child, in the form of a baby. And that's actually what opens the gates in a certain sense, because the throne of heaven has actually come to us. It's not us going there any longer, which is kind of cool. It's great. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. Okay, that was off the top of my head. Uh, the top of your head is, is glorious. It was off off of a sheer, a little bit of terror, because I had nothing to say about this. <laughs> hey, no, so, you, you flashed that, the eyes of terror at me. Because like, <laughs> this whole thing feels, you guys, even though it's recorded, it really is very live. It's stressful, too. <laughs> It is kind of. Because we want to feed you, our children. Okay, moving on. Psalm, no, <laughs> Romans. <laughs> Romans. Okay, dude, I have to default to you because like, as soon as I start reading Romans, <laughs> Thanks, man. Dude, do you know how this, I'm sorry. No, You're going to do that to me one day and I'm going to panic. I do it to you all the time. I know. And you panic. Um, but I'm looking at Romans and I really don't know much about Romans. Romans is one of those don't things where- Don't know much about Romans. <laughs> sorry. Don't know much about- philosophy <laughs> but th- whenever i look at romans i always feel like i'm i'm getting in a kayak and i'm gonna go down a river no oh, yeah and that there, there are these passages that are like really intense rapids and like you have to really technically navigate them this one is not one of those <laughs> it's <laughs> it's kind of just like get in get in a boat get and in the strap boat in and start paddling yeah yeah that's what people scholars have actually often compared the book of romans to climbing mount everest Oh, they call it the Mount Everest of Scripture studies. Oh, I true. I just went to the um, American Association for Mountain Climbing. I forgot the name of it. It's in Golden. Yeah, it's, it's the um, Alpine Association yeah. of America. Yeah, I know. It well. I, I got a I got a tour from um, Glenn Porzak, who the building is dedicated to, who goes to daily mass here. Wow. Yeah, and uh, cool. And and there's this huge model of Everest, and it's really beautiful. Did you try to climb it? Um, I did not try okay. to climb the model. They would have kicked me out and summarily been. beat me. That's pretty extreme. I mean, hey, they are alpinists. That's true. They are alpinists. All right. Um, <laughs> so we be this is this is it's interesting that the the church in her wisdom has chosen this passage to fit, and I I don't quite know why. It's the very beginning of Romans. It's the opening lines of Romans. We've been in Romans for the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah. This is the opening lines. It begins by saying, "Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ." Um, doula, sometimes we translate as servant, but more commonly as slave. Yeah. A slave of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised through his prophets in his holy scriptures, the gospel that his son descended from David according to the flesh, but now established as God of son and power. According to the spirit of holiness, it, it the first lines do kind of speak to what Isaiah is 
saying to King Ahaz that this Jesus um, is not just some random guy that God shows. It actually has followed the system that Isaiah was even speaking about in the first reading, that this King Ahaz is going to have a son, and he's going to be in the line of David, and Hezekiah will have a son, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So Jesus is that. So if you're, you know, if you're thinking about this, the narrative of the Old Testament, this is the answer to all those things. Which is interesting because what he does is he extends it then actually onto us. Exactly right. Yeah, it, it, one of the things I'm always struck by, I don't know how this applies to the other readings, but I do have to point it out because it's striking. We read stuff like Paul, a slave of Jesus Christ, being called to an apostle, about the gospel of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, all this stuff. We've heard it a million times, and it's just it's just religious. It's pious-sounding words. But in the Rome, I mean, he's writing to, to Rome, the church in Rome, which I believe at the time was under the emperor Nero, who we don't remember Nero for doing many good things. But under the Emperor Nero, I mean, there, there was only one person on earth at the time that held the titles Christ, that held the title Lord, about whom was called the gospel, the good news, who was called, yeah, Christ son of the God. Lord, son of God. Who was that? The Roman Emperor. The Roman Emperor held all of those titles. And, um, and if, all those under him were essentially his slaves in a certain sense, who could live in peace. But So Paul, writing under the nose of Nero himself, has usurped every one of the political titles that was legally reserved for one man and one man alone, who was the most powerful man on earth. So if you're, I mean, imagine that you're a Roman citizen and you're reading this thing. You're like, I don't know if I want to read this out loud. I mean, this is is pretty (laughs) dangerous stuff to actually, you can see why Paul dies pretty soon at the hands of Rome. I mean, it's pretty powerful stuff that he's actually doing. So this Jesus, who is actually descended from the kings of the Old Testament, is all of the things that the false emperor Caesar claims to be, because he set himself up as a god. I mean, and really, maybe this is the tie-in. I mean, if we're thinking about Ahaz and all he's doing and his falling into idolatry, which the psalm says we cannot do, why is Paul using this language in Romans? It's because the Roman emperor, who they all have to pledge allegiance to, has declared himself a god. So worshiping Caesar as the Christ, the gospel, the son of God, the Lord, is in a certain sense a very real form of idolatry. And Paul is reminding them, no, that is what Ahaz was challenged against. That is what the psalm told us we cannot do. And that is why I'm opening this in a life-threatening way to point out who Jesus actually is and who Caesar is not. Yeah, let's set the groundwork. I mean, this is the greeting of the letter. This is the greeting for peace. I mean, it ends. It says, and, and it says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He, which is basically yeah. like saying, okay, I'm gonna set to, I'm gonna set the groundwork here. Yeah. Either you in, either you is in, is or you, or is, you out. is out. It's true. So okay, and I bet a lot of people were out because that would be a pretty threatening thing to say. Yeah, it would be really. I mean, yeah, it's intense. Your citizenship is in heaven, brother. Yeah, Philippians, yeah. So there you go. That I mean, that's what I got. It, it totally fits. Well, I, I think so. Why? I mean, we you pointed it out in what you're saying about the relationship of ahas. Unreal. <laughs> Come on. No, that's I love the, it. That's the way we say it. No. Ahas. Ahas. Aha. And um. The, uh, yeah, dude, you just have it. For some reason, we're just like hitting these like clear and clean today. Yeah, it's surprising us too. Yeah, because it's just really straightforward. Yeah, I guess, I guess it is. Our the lines are being drawn. Yeah, our political alliance is not in this world. It's with with the Lord in heaven. And yeah. and if you think that security and stuff, that your holiness and your, um, your baseline and safety in your life is going to come from this world, you're wrong. Yeah. I mean, just straight up. And, straight up, you're wrong. And the Lord is going to, he's going to show you what is right. Yeah, you're right. That's it. And that, 
My leads us into takes the gospel. Us to the gospel. Matthew. Gospel. Matthew chapter 1. It's the sport of kings. Better, better than, than diamond, diamond rings. The gospel. <laughs> the gospel. That is from the movie Wildcats, everyone. Yes. All right. So the beginning of the gospel. Well, it's 18 verses in. <laughs> Just in case you were wondering. <laughs> well, Thank you for telling me It's not the exact that. beginning. There's a genealogy that comes before this. Which is 14, 14, 14. Yes. Do you want to explain what that means? 14, 14, 14. That is the generations uh, that from Adam to Jesus. Well, yeah. That's the way that Matthew speaks of them. Yes. Well, and that brings up an interesting point, which we'll get to in a second. So hang on to that thought, what Father Peter just said. Tuck it away in your little banks. Ah, the bank. Okay. deposit. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. When his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, but before they lived together, she was found with child through the Holy Spirit. Okay, pause there. When we think about betrothal, what's the modern equivalent that we usually associate with? Engagement. Yeah, which is not true. So let's all together get that out of our heads. Betrothal is not engagement. Okay. Which is very important. Yeah, because... uh, Betrothal is like much more committed. Well, so the Jewish a Jewish wedding wedding ceremony, a Jewish wedding practice had two parts to it. So there there was a sort of engagement, but then there was the betrothal, and the betrothal once you're betrothed, you're actually legally married. That is a legally binding marriage. Oh, so she is his wife if they are betrothed. Got it. Step two of a legal marriage is then coming together under one roof as man and wife. But this is not an engagement. So, which is, so, so you wouldn't, you wouldn't like. In some sense, we have those same steps, but we don't. I mean, like, it wouldn't be the consummation necessarily, would it? It's or, step two. Step two is consummation. Step so, two is consummation. So, so, and essentially, what we're talking about is that a betrothal is equivalent to what you would do in the in the in the mass, where you would give vows. Yeah, basically. But you, but you have not yet come together. I and suppose so. Yeah, that's a good way to put cause, it. Because we talk we talk about ratification and consummation. Yeah. Yeah, that's a fair way to put it. Yeah, so there, yeah, I was going to make a stupid joke. But yes, that's essentially what's going on, which is why, remember, we all kind of know this story. Remember Joseph, when he, he freaks out when he hears what's going on, and he seeks to divorce her. Yes. Which is a legal reality. If you're just engaged, you wouldn't have to actually divorce somebody. Yeah. So that tells you there's something different going on here. So they yeah. are actually married. Um, okay, so before they live together, but so it, but it says before they live together, that's saying before step two, essentially. So it's if you're a Jew, you you, you understand what's you haven't moved in saying. together, you had the ceremony, the big, the, 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 they had a wedding feast, yeah, presumably, presumably. Wow. Well, I don't know, I don't know the order of things, I don't either. All I know is that this is legally binding, Deal. What, what they're in right now is a legal marriage, but it's not finished yet, according okay. to the law offices of. Of the lanky guys, we have <laughs> thus declared such that this is a legally binding marriage. Okay. So let it be written. So let it be done. Joseph, her husband, since she was a righteous man, and what does it mean to be righteous? Um, he follows the commandments. And yeah. The Mishnah? Uh, yeah. I mean, he follows the law. Follows he's faithful law. to the law. I Based mean, that, that's law. shorthand, right, for righteousness. Yes. So he's a righteous man, yet unwilling to expose her to shame, decided to divorce her quietly. Such was the intention uh, when behold, the angel appeared to him in a dream and said, "Okay, so pause there. So, for, I I have a hard time speaking about this without Luke, because Luke is the gospel where we get all the information about what's going on with Mary, and there's a weird there's a weird thing that we have to address here. So I'm I'm jumping a little bit to Luke, but okay, remember in the gospel of Luke, um, the angel Gabriel appears to Mary and she's he's he gives us the opening words of the hail Mary, right? Hail, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Yeah. Uh, and he, the angel tells Mary, I'm not looking at it in front of me, but he essentially says, you are going to conceive and bear a son, and he's going to do all these things. 
And we're told in Luke that Mary is freaked out because she says, how can this be since I have no husband or since I do not know man or since yes. I have not, you know, whatever. I have not know man, yeah. Now think about this for a second. She says an angel. So she doesn't appear to be freaked out that there's an angel there. She doesn't appear to be freaked out by the fact that her son is going to be king. She's freaked out, Luke says, by the fact that she's going to have a son. Now think about this for a second. Walk with me through this. I'm walking. The angel speaks in future tense. So take aside the fact that it's an angel actually telling you this, because he also doesn't say it's going to be God, it's going to, you know, he's going to be divine, any of that stuff. He simply says, hey, here is a woman who's betrothed to be married. In the future, she is going to conceive and have a son. To that fact, Mary seems to flip out. Hmm. Does that tell you something's up? I mean, just in a normal circumstances, if you told a woman who's betrothed, hey, you're going to, I think you're going to betroth, you're going to conceive and have a son. He's going to do these great things. Yes. How can that be? I don't have a husband. That's not exactly the the uh, protest that you'd expect. Yeah. Which is where we sort of begin to get the understanding that, wait a second, maybe something's different with Mary. Because any normal betrothed woman would find it perfectly reasonable that you would have a child. You would hope for that. You would want that. But Mary can't seem to grasp that, which told, told many of the fathers of the church and the saints that, look, maybe Mary had made some sort of a vow that said she wasn't going to consummate this marriage, that she was going to remain perpetually virginal. Otherwise, why on earth would she respond like that? And if we know that, and we know that there's Mm. something else going on, then we can actually bring Joseph into the picture. Mm. So we don't know exactly what's going on with Joseph, but there's a couple different possibilities. Either, well, first of all, something that's interesting. So he finds out that she's with child. Now, say, we don't know what's going on, Joseph said, but I think any normal person would think, oh, geez, crap, she's been unfaithful. You know, she's done this thing. Legally, according to Deuteronomy, she can be stoned. That actually would be the punishment, is that she would be stoned. Joseph is a righteous man, which means he follows the law, yet he's not willing to expose her, not just to shame, and it says he's not willing to expose her to shame. He actually doesn't want her to be stoned to death, which is what would happen to her if this were exposed, potentially. So out of his humility and love of Mary, despite whatever frustration or anger he may feel, he wants to do this quietly so she does not actually have to be stoned, according to the law. Because that's not what, he realizes that there is a new reality of the law which is what makes him righteous, that he does not disobeying the law, but the law is changing its sort of form in a certain sense. Hmm. But I think it's fascinating that it talks about his righteousness, yet he's not willing to expose her to that aspect of the law. Because that law, in its sense, is actually pa- in the process of passing away. Some of those temporary laws that were established. Which, yeah. again, I think is just kind of cool. I think it's so cool. He wants and, to- and, and I think that, uh, I mean, you'd have to think about the existential part of this, because... Mary is probably the most phenomenally attractive, kind, generous woman. I mean, yeah. she, in in my book, she is it. Yeah, she's and and so I mean, you have to realize that his temper is tempered. Yeah, because he could have yeah. he could have flipped, flipped out, out entirely. I mean, especially in the in the in the face of having such a beautiful and tremendous woman fill and. And such a, a, a tremendous and beautiful, good relationship tainted yes. in that way. Yeah. But he but he he resolves to just be quiet and to actually continue to love her. Yes, exactly. Well, and there's another there's another option to this. So that's one option. Got it. That's what's going on. Okay. The other option, and the, some of the fathers, this has got a technical term, although I forget what it is. 
Um, but if you take the thing about Mary from Luke, that there's something more going on here because Mary seems to be flipping out that she's going to have a child. So say she did take this vow of perpetual virginity. <laughs> Surprise, Joseph. I'm going to, yeah, I mean, that that's weird. But what if he actually knew about that? And what if she actually had told him, hey, you know what? I feel moved by the Lord that I actually feel called to do this. And he realizes and he knows that Mary has chosen to set herself apart in some way. Because look at what it actually says. It says, The Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary, your wife, into your home. What if Joseph has this, and this is putting a lot of stake in Joseph, perhaps. But what if Joseph realized Mary's made this vow? I trust Mary. I know this woman. I know that she wouldn't be unfaithful. Mm. If she took this vow, knowing what I know about her, and somehow she's pregnant now, what if the Lord is actually doing something? Mm. I am not worthy to be a part of this. This is too much for me. This is too, I'm just lowly Joseph. I'm going to quietly back out of this because the Lord's doing something far too profound for me to be a part of. And then the angel appears and says, no, Joseph, don't be afraid to take her into your home. Don't be freaked out by this. You're the one that's actually been chosen to be a part of this. Wow. Again, we don't know. We're speculating, but but both of those options I think are kind of fun to think about. Yeah, what exactly is going on here? I personally like option two. Don't you? I think option two is is like, yeah. It, well, it also. I mean, you have to understand that normally, prophets are the ones who are receiving clear messages from God. Yeah, and and but like he's sensitive enough to take seriously a dream. Yeah, which I mean, like his righteousness is proved even in just the midst of that. Is yes. like he's going like. And because he acts upon it and he knows clearly, clearly what the voice of the Lord is. Yeah, and so, exactly right. And, and so, so he, he like, he's grasping that. I think it's, that's phenomenal. And I yeah. think it's, it's also worthy to point out too, that Joseph is, is, uh, is connected to the old Testament Joseph. Yeah. Because the old Joseph of, of the Jacob's sons mm. dreamed a dream, which led them, led him into Egypt with the, uh, which did what? To uh, uh, preserve um, grain, the bread, so that all Which the nations, did what? all the nations could be fed. So through a dream, yeah, Joseph does something which essentially saves the world. Yes, and now through a dream, Joseph is being part of something that will save the world. That's a great shorthand way to say. Isn't it. Isn't that cool? And the details. Just, I didn't think about it until you said it. Yeah, yeah. The details work out beautifully. Imagine that you're. Imagine that Joseph actually understood the Old Testament. He knows this reading from Isaiah that we read in the first reading. He knows the story of his, his fathers in the faith. And the angel actually says to him, all this took place to fulfill what was said by the prophet, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They will call his name Emmanuel. And Joseph all of a sudden is like, whoa, that passage that was always super weird. Oh my gosh, this is what it means. This is the, she's the virgin who's oh. going to conceive and bear. I mean, imagine being Joseph and who knows, but potentially putting those pieces together. He would fight, like, bring you oh, to your knees. That's what it means. Holy mackerel! Isn't that a cool thought, dude? That's the best thought. Yeah. I got a question for you, dude. Oh. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I have Emmanuel Lewis in my mind. Of course. You know, as you should. Webster is is here, but like, okay, why do they name him Jesus when he was supposed to be named Emmanuel? Uh, I've never been able to work that out. I can't like, but but I mean, we we know that like like I mean, do we call him Jesus Emmanuel? What? No. Um, and Emmanuel is... I mean, it's a title. It's kind of like... Emmanuel is his title, I think. But why His name we, is Jesus. Why wouldn't we, like, title him then? 
I mean, I guess we do call him Emmanuel. I guess he has a number of different can- and different titles because you know Christ. I was joke. Christ is not Joseph and Mary's last name. <laughs> it was it was a title. It means king. Yeah, Jesus Emmanuel. We say that though. Yeah, we do. Maybe more than a title, it's a descriptor. So you have his name, which is Jesus, his title, which is the Christ, yeah. and his descriptor, which is Emmanuel, meaning yeah. God is with us. Yeah. I'm curious. You have your little Greek text in front of you. What does it say um, when it says they shall name him? Well, they said they will call the name of him <laughs> Emmanuel, <laughs> so convoluted. which is him. being interpreted with us, uh, is, which is being interpreted with, uh, with us God. Yeah. So, so in some. So it sense, sounds like a descriptor. It's a descriptor. Yeah. It's capitalized though. It is capitalized. Maybe it was his middle name. <laughs> Jesus Emmanuel Christ. You guys, thank you for coming with us. Um, I hope you had an ahas moment <laughs> during uh, the podcast. Oh, how come we didn't think of that yet? I know. Have you been saving that for yeah, the end? I have. Have you really? Uh-huh. Uh huh. Aha. Aha. So and uh, we and we encourage you to celebrate Christmas with great abandon. Don't just, don't just um, <laughs> woo, woo <laughs> abandon myself to the Christmas. And um, may your hearts be a um, crib for the Christ child. May you have lots of hay in your hearts. <laughs> Dude, this is what homiletics feels like. You're like going along and you're like, and like may you prepare a place for the Lord in your heart. May it be filled with straw. <laughs> That's awesome. And everybody's like, what? No, I love it. I'm so happy you said that. Thank you. Pin us All on right. Pinterest. Find us on Facebook. But that's the only legitimate one. We are on Facebook. We're yeah, nothing we, we nothing else. We say that all the time, and I'm sure people are looking for us. On, we should We should, dude, let's do it. Let's what? make a Pinterest yeah. page. What would it have? Dude, this is the question that everybody's going to Can other ask. people pin things in Pinterest? I don't know, dude. I've Can never, you, I've never used Pinterest. Me neither. Well, look out. We may have a Pinterest page. <laughs> Watch out, everybody. Watch it. Um... Well, have a great week. We'll be back next week somehow. Yes, somehow. On Christmas. Christmas. The day after Christmas, probably. Is that the um, Isthmus of Christmas? <laughs> Seriously? <laughs> I love the word Isthmus. I mean, Isthmus. Isthmus. I live in the Isthmus. I live in the Isthmus of Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Dude, That's enough keep, of this keep, nonsense. Stop talking. Okay, bye, everybody. Bye. Thanks for listening. Do send us an email, though. Send us your shout-outs. Um, <laughs> Facebook, Pinterest, all that stuff. <laughs> You just go for it again. Well, because we didn't say send us an email okay. and your shout outs, okay, which we want you to do. Send us an email. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Happy Advent. The Word on the Hill is a production of the Aquinas Institute for Catholic Thought here in beautiful Boulder, Colorado, www.thomascenter.org. You can also send us an email at lankyguys at thomascenter.org. See you next week.